corona pressure. Are we in a recession? A political slipper. They weren't paying attention. And remembering Jeanette Fitzsimons. She tried to always set a different tone. Welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up about the political stories that we've been covering in the lead-up to the election. Now, we're missing our main man, Benedict, today. He is home, not feeling very well, and because he's been doing stories over the last few days telling people to stay at home if they're sick, he needed to follow his own advice. So we won't have him with us here today. But I'm Jessica Much Mackay. And I'm Mikey Sherman. So let's do pits and peaks for this week. Shall we start off let's start off on a positive note. What's been your peak this week? Yeah, look, my peak this week has to go to David Seymour, who managed to get an SOP uh, through on the abortion law reform. And I guess, you know, whether you agree with his uh, supplementary uh, order paper, which is basically an amendment um, to the law that's being debated and ushered through Parliament, whether you agree with it or not, um, which basically gets rid of the safe zones um, around abortion clinics, um, you have to admire that this man is a single MP and he's managed um, you know, to get um, something that he wanted um, through. Um, he managed to get it through Parliament um, and it comes off the back of you know, the success that he's had with euthanasia um, and also on the back of poll, poll numbers which show that he could potentially bring some friends back with him um, after the election. So you know, he's on a good sort of wave, David Seymour, so I just wanted to acknowledge that. Um, and that is my peak this week. Uh, my peak, I think, is uh, perhaps a slightly lighter notion that has been um, the somewhat awkward handshakes that political leaders have been doing um, in light of actually being able to press the flesh. We saw the Dutch Prime Minister with his health official the other day do a weird kind of elbow thing and he did the press conference saying, oh look, please don't shake hands, it's a way of, of spreading the virus. Turned around after the media conference and went to shake his hand, realised he had mucked up and did this weird awkward um, elbow thing. So it is one of those things, particularly in political circles, that have Handshaking is, is just the, the currency that people use. Um, it's what they do. It's for photo ops and things like that. So I do think that it's interesting to see some of those images come through. So I also thought I'd just chuck in there as well for a bit of name dropping. I actually met the Dutch Prime Minister when we went to The Hague as well. He was particularly friendly and actually came out and shook all the hands of journalists when um, we came visiting with the Prime Minister. So um, uh, just a little bit of name dropping going on there. Yeah, well, you know, lucky to get a handshake in there before, uh, you know, all, all of the changes. <laughs> and um, just on that note, I also note that uh, uh, Iwi Ngati Kahungunu um, have advised their people uh, on the marae to just give the raise of the eyebrow, the old raised eyebrow instead of doing the hongi. Ah, um, and we're seeing that around marae across the country that they're sort of sort of pulling back a Just bit a for now. Greeting. Yeah, so um, yeah, that's uh, affecting a, a lot more than just the politicians, I'd say. Yeah. So what about pits? My pit uh, this way. I actually don't have a pit. I actually, actually wanted so to just talk about something interesting, yeah. okay. um, which was the Māori seats. And um, the Prime Minister earlier this week was asked whether or not um, her Māori MPs would stick with their uh, strategy, which they um, used at the last election, which was that all of those members who had a seat um, would come off the party list. Those without seats would stay on the party list. Um, asked whether they would do that again this time round, she said um, they're actually still considering 
considering it. They're not sure either which way. So we could see a bit of changes there in terms of um, some of those Māori MPs coming back because, of, of course, they all hold the hold the seats now. So if they if they use that same strategy, they would all be off the list. Um, but we're seeing, you know, we've got John Tamihere, newly announced um, candidate for the Māori Party in Tamaki Makoto. You've also got Iron Māori, which is similar to um, just, you know, Ironman competitions. It's Iron Māori um, organiser um, Heather Skipworth, um, and she uh, is contesting Ikaroa Rafiti going up against Mika Whaiteri. So two strong candidates there um, and so whether or not that would put um, you know some of those Māori members in Labour on uh, nervous ground um, and and spur them on to get back onto that list just in case uh, we shall see in due time. Perhaps a little bit of a rev up six months before yeah, the election Yeah I think it's going to be good to, um, yeah. to, to see that competition go down in the Māori seats. Yeah my point of interest as well is the US primaries I've really enjoyed um, keeping across that this week now that the race is whittled down to either Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders and I just love the big US political rallies. I just think they're always so interesting, um, the different messages that they get across. So I've enjoyed watching all of that play out this week. But you'd have to say the big thing that has dominated for all of us um, for coverage this week um, is COVID-19. That's what we've been, if not doing stories for the news, filtering the information through to other reporters around the country who have been reporting on it as well. And I just think we're still on five cases and we've been that way for the last four days. And I think what that's done is given everyone in New Zealand a little bit of breathing space to do some planning and think about what if. I think what's happened this week is with Italy going into shutdown, lockdown, we've all thought, hmm, I wonder how that would play out if that happened in New Zealand and what if and what if and thinking about that, not in a way to create panic, but just in a how would we work from home? How would we continue doing the news on a personal level if we weren't able to be at Parliament or be in our newsrooms? And I do think that now that we've had the label pandemic um, labelled come from the World Health Organisation, that takes things to a next level as well. So it does feel like it's cranking up the story again. Yeah, interesting that the World Health Organization just this morning declared that we are in a pandemic. We interviewed the Prime Minister shortly after she said it's business as usual for us and that we've been operating as though it is a pandemic this whole time. So um, nothing too much will change in terms of the Ministry of Health's response and so on. Um, in terms of the businesses preparing, um, interesting also to see that the likes of, you know, Google and um, Vodafone here, their their main HQ, they're all directing their staff um, to work from home. Um, And I think we'll see more and more of that sort of thing, more of that sort of planning and trying to stay ahead of the wave. And that's what um, Jacinda Ardern and Health Minister David Clark um, have been pushing really hard, I've noticed in their messaging, is that um, New Zealand had extra time to prepare and that we are ahead of all of of the other countries in terms of, you know, us setting up um, our border restrictions and so on. So how long that will last in terms of keeping ahead of that curve, um, time will tell. But also a big point on that is our financial aid package for businesses. And this is being eagerly awaited. Now, what has happened is the government has said, look, we're going to announce a package, including in that will be a wage subsidy. 
but we need time to design it. And we're now in this holding pattern where businesses know that it's coming, but some of them are struggling right now. And we spoke to a company yesterday who deal in rock lobster. They export to China, hot commodity over there can't get them through now. So they're really struggling and they've got fishermen who are feeding this stuff in. So even when you look at it in a really small scale, things like the seafood industry, the tourism industry are hurting now. Yep, they've got some of those packages coming through, but they need that help with the wages. They need that help to keep people in jobs. And I talked to Grant Robertson about this yesterday and said, um, look, let's say they announce it on Tuesday or Wednesday next week, when are people going to see money in their banks? Because they're going to have to work at trying to get that in really fast so that these companies aren't waiting for a long time. And the other development that we had yesterday as well was around the travel restrictions. So you've got Italy now going up a notch. It was just northern Italy. Now the whole of Italy, if you come here, welcome to come here, as long as you don't mind sitting in a hotel by the airport for two weeks. So it basically is putting a halt on any tourists coming here. And and that's... You know, you've got that. You've got Italy. You've, um, we've already had restrictions with South Korea, with Iran, with China. That's having, you know, a big impact on a on a sector like tourism. So, I just think the pressure is on the government now. It's like, come on, you're almost at this the situation like this where businesses and perhaps the media and the public are saying, come on, we need to hear the details and the government saying, no, we need to hold, we need to get this right and make sure it's targeted. And yeah. we're in that weird place in the middle at the moment. It's that fine balancing act, isn't it? I mean, they don't want to sort of, and, and um, Adrian Orr has said the same thing in terms of um, in terms of the markets. He doesn't want to bring in sort of knee-jerk reactions. And I guess that's what um, the government are, are weighing up in terms of trying to get their package um, tailor-made. That's what they keep saying. They want it to be a targeted package, not a blanket package. Um, but the pressure is building. We've got Australia today releasing its financial package, tipped to be... Um, worth around $17 billion and they're going to be doing blanket business packages. So they're not sort of targeting, uh, we, we understand that they're going to be sort of offering um, cash lump sums to businesses or businesses um, and that's just to protect employment um, and, and the economy. Um, the other interesting thing that Australia is tipped to be doing is bringing in cash injections for beneficiaries. Um, and so the Prime Minister was asked on that today. She's, she's saying um, that we're not going to be doing anything sort of specific in terms of lifting benefits like that, um, but that, that, that um, the Ministry of Social Development will be on hand to offer those hardship grants and so on, and that it's those food grants that people are most in need of um, if they are affected by COVID-19. And the theory behind that for Australia is that people who are um, struggling will then spend that money and that stimulates the economy. So that's the argument for um, giving a top up to beneficiaries. Um, and that was also the argument um, that Grant Robertson gave in response to Simon Bridges on the minimum arguing wage, for yeah. the minimum wage to be deferred for six months. So the minimum wage is set to increase on the 1st of April. National is saying can we defer that for six months so we don't put extra pressure on businesses who will need to increase um, those wages. Um, but again Grant Robertson saying no, you know, we, you know those on the lowest incomes um, deserve a fair go and usually traditionally when they get that um, increase in their pay packets they go out and spend it and that stimulates the economy so that's a good thing. 
on the Aussie stuff, I think that um, they are having a less targeted approach for business. Will be interesting to see how the government responds because that's obviously the opposite of what Grant Robertson is doing. I understand that um, he will be um, chatting with the um, Australian Treasury to kind of go through some of these things. But I think Australia is a lot more open to, I mean, during the GFC they gave their, everyone in Australia $1,000 with the hope that people would go out and, and spend it and buy themselves something. So they are perhaps a bit more open to that than we are at the moment. So I just it's just a really interesting um, topic and I think just the, the way that we're talking about it even in the office um, has changed a bit this week. So um, we head into a, another big week of it. Um, but we have had time for a, a few other stories and one of those has been on abortion. So let's have a chat about what was a bit of a cluster with with MPs trying to get through a change that that just didn't happen. Yeah, look, so um, two nights ago, you know, MPs debating late into the night and as I said in my story, boy did it show because uh, like I mentioned in my peak, David Seymour put up a supplementary order paper um, because in the um, abortion law reform um, there was um, a scope in there to allow for, on a case-by-case basis, so not a blanket um, sort of policy, but um, allow for the setting up of safe zones around abortion clinics, which would basically mean that um, protesters couldn't be anywhere within a 150 metre radius of those clinics. David Seymour's supplementary order paper was to get rid of those safe zones. And um, on the night, um, Anne Tolly, who was chairing the House, uh, she called for the votes. Um, All those in favour say aye. There was a loud sort of aye from the House. All those um, opposed say no. And there was a few moments, no. Um, And then there was no vote called for. And so when they call for a vote, that's when they actually take the specific numbers, but because there was no vote called for, they didn't have the numbers. So based on the sort of um, uh, the oral votes, um, the no, the eyes had it, um, and that was it. Safe zones gone. David Seymour successful, and MPs, uh, including Jan Logie, standing up saying, "Oh, hang on, what just happened here? What was the outcome of that vote?" And, and Tolly having to explain, "Well, the eyes had it. No one called for a vote. Um, no one called for an individual or party vote, and that's that." And she, you know, you can seek leave to um, call to revisit it. Ruth Dyson stood up and and sought leave to revisit it um, but obviously it was shot down um, and that was that and safe zones are gone. And it's one of those things that it's a technicality over a really serious issue and I think you can on one part of you you can see how it would happen that you know you're just not paying attention on the other part it's this is what these guys are there for and you've got to be paying attention. I, I guess worth saying as well that particularly for the Greens they've had a really rough week this week, um, mourning the loss of their former leader, Jeanette Fitzsimons. So I I guess to add a bit of fairness to that, the whole party will have been quite distracted by that issue. So should we have a look at that track now, looking back on Jeanette Fitzsimons' life? An activist, an environmentalist and a leader. The planet is full. Its capacity to absorb our wastes and generate our resources is already overstretched. 
an early voice for climate change and clean energy. The energy decisions the New Zealand government is making now will affect everything in your life. This organic farm, her sanctuary for the last 20 years. Morning, Milky Way. What have you got for me this morning? With olives, nut trees, sheep and beef. This was one of the things that kept me sane when I was down there in the madhouse. The day before, uh, she was using a chainsaw. That's the sort of person she is. She worked a lot harder than I ever did. I was totally in awe of her. Sue Kedgley was one of the original Greens. She had incredible wisdom and almost devoid of ego and selfless and incredible integrity. I'm quite heartbroken. I thought we had her for a couple more decades, to be honest. I thought we had her to at least continue to lead us and guide us. Jeanette Fitzsimons, the only Green MP to ever win an electorate seat, taking Coromandel from National in 1999. Though she represented paying tribute. You mentioned that name, everyone knows that she's like a big identity. She's been such an amazing role model for working for the environment. Quiet, so caring. We're all going to miss her. Helen Clark saying she is shocked and saddened, and former colleague Nandor Tanchal says now the world is turning and you're going to miss the best bit. In 2008, I did a story after a One News poll labelled Jeanette Fitzsimons the most trusted member of parliament. Wow. That's pretty nice. She tried to always set a different tone. Uh, she was there to make a difference. She wasn't there for the cut and thrust. She wasn't there for the barbs in Parliament. The other Green Party founder, Rod Donald, died in 2005. It's now up to others to carry on their legacies. Yeah, I think it was quite a shock and really sad news to hear about Jeanette Fitzsimons. We heard on the Friday morning she died in, in Thames Hospital the night before. And I think um, I'd... I'd known her from when she was in Parliament and she just, she was different to the other politicians. She, um, I mean, I think they're all there for a purpose, but she was very clear about what hers was and she was always uh, really kind and thoughtful and as a junior reporter, when you're starting out, um, you don't always get that from members of Parliament and she was always one of them who'd always make time for you, um, you know, no matter if you were the junior reporter or the senior reporter um, and I also the other thing I, I quite enjoyed doing on Friday was Country Calendar had done a really beautiful story with her about her organic farm and I hadn't seen it when it had aired the year before and I went and watched it that day and included some of that in the in the story that we saw there but that was just um, you know she was so relaxed uh, so happy showing people her farm and what they were achieving there. And that was just, I thought, a really um, lovely way to pay tribute to the work that she was doing. Yeah, speaking of tributes, um, you and I sat in the House when um, MPs um, gave their tributes uh, to her and that was really lovely. It was really nice to hear um, a lot about the contribution that she made. Marama Davidson stood up, then the Prime Minister um, and and James Shaw was brought to tears and it was really touching to, to sort of just hear all of the kōrero. And um, I also was interested to note um, uh, Morgan Godfrey um, put out a tweet reminding people um, that in 2004 um, Jeanette Fitzsimons walked and marched in the Forshire and Seabed Hikoi to Parliament um, and when uh, the, the 
um, marches arrived at Parliament, her fellow MPs were there holding a banner saying Ona Te Tiriti. Um, so that was really nice as well to see that and to acknowledge, um, you know, that as well. And, and yeah, so thinking of the whānau. Yeah, and I just think we've, um, speaking to some of the, the press secretaries and the chief of staff, even if they hadn't met Jeanette Fitzsimons personally, the whole way that the Green Party operate, um, so much of that was set by her and, and by Rod Donald that they, this new team now carry forward. And I just think it's it's an always interesting time to reflect, um, particularly for a party going six months into an election, what they want to bring to the table and, and how they want to conduct themselves. And I think that's a bigger picture, a little reminder for all of us. So on that note, we will leave it there. That was One News Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering as we head towards this year's election. We're on Instagram, Twitter and on Facebook. It's available around this time each week on One News Online and check us out on your favourite podcasting app. Thanks very much. Yeah.